This is episode 014 of the Success Smoothie Podcast with Uyoyo Zinu Edosio. Hello there, I'm Ifoma Nkengbemudu, HR professional, author, personal development thought leader, and host of the Success Smoothie Podcast, a weekly podcast where I feed you healthy servings of actionable insights to help you become better, wiser, and wealthier. From time to time on the show, I also interview brilliant guests and on each interview, I relentlessly probe guests to uncover the mindset, habits, tools, and resources that they've used to achieve your own measure of success so you, the listener or the Success Witty Scholar, can apply those same lessons to improve your life. You can find the show notes on any episode on ifomang.com. That's I-F-E-O-M-A-N-G.com. Also, if you've been struggling to get the people you admire to mentor you, huh? Help is here. Yeah. I have a free, free audio training available right now on my website titled Why Mentorship Matters and How to Make It Work for You. It's available right now on ifomang.com, I-F-E-O-M-A-N-G.com. In that training, I teach you how to get anyone, anywhere in the world to mentor you instantly, regardless of how busy or successful they are. So do check it out. Now, on today's episode of the show, we're going to be talking about digital literacy skills we all need now. And I thought to talk about the subject because as we all can see, we are living in the digital age and technology is increasingly changing the way we live, work and play. And I thought, you know, it's becoming increasingly important for us to be digitally literate, to keep abreast with the changes and keep growing and evolving so that we can keep growing and keep earning. And to provide us with the answers we need, I have on the show with me today, our fourth guest and unique unique flavor of this week's success smoothie. So today's guest is none other than the senior innovation and human capital expert, skills development and employment at the African Development Bank Group, where she is responsible for managing a portfolio themed around education, digital innovation and youth entrepreneurship. And in the four years that she's served in this role, she has been responsible for originating and managing a pan-African investment portfolio amounting to to about 150 million US dollars. She's also the program lead of the African Development Bank's Coding for Employment program, a program run by the African Development Bank, the Rockefeller Foundation, Microsoft, and Facebook to help prepare African youths for tomorrow's information and communication technology-driven jobs. Outside of her work at the African Development Bank, she is the co-founder of Meet a Need Foundation, which is a group of enthusiastic professionals who believe that the world can be a better place when people who have more share with those who don't have enough. Ladies and gentlemen, Success Moody scholars, please do make welcome our Success Moody flavor of the day and our guest, Uyoyo Edosio. Uyoyo, it is so nice to have you on the show today. How have you been? It's been years since we spoke. Like, it's been years. <laughs> I'm doing well. It's been forever. Yes, it's been a very long 
In short, successfully scholars, I haven't spoken to you since we graduated from school, probably. Like, maybe we just chatted on Facebook or something. Okay, so today we're going to be talking about digital literacy skills that millennials, African millennials in particular, and Generation Z need right now. Like, no, 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 no. And I am so excited because I know that as Senior Innovation and Human Capital Expert at the African Development Bank, you have the answers that we're looking for. So I am very excited. And I know that everybody that's listening to this should pay close attention to what you say right here. Okay, so we'll just go right into the interview. And my first question is, of course, what is digital literacy and why is it so important for African millennials in particular to be digitally literate? Okay, so what is digital literacy? It's literally knowing how to walk around a computer, a digital device, which could be computers, laptops, tablets, iPhones, or any any digitally enabled um, infrastructure. Now, why is it important? Yeah. I mean, it's now become a significant factor. Before, it was, did you go to school or did you not go to school? Right now, as services are moving online, I mean, look at the COVID-19. A lot of organizations are having to work from home. Imagine yes. um, staff not being able to get a computing environment. You will probably be jobless forever in the yes. future of work right now. So yes. it's now becoming where they used to say, okay, there was this gender divide, there was education divide. Now there's a clause called digital divide. Yeah. It's like though a currency for survival in our generation. You wouldn't be able to access banking services, education, healthcare yes. now is moving telemedicine. So you're excluding yourself from a whole um, lot of opportunities and social benefits. Yes. It's almost like as lectures to stay back in a stone age because everything more than ever before is connected. It is a necessity as much as reading and writing is right now. Wow, wow. Very, very true. I mean, what you said it really hits home because when you mentioned that banking is going online, medicine is going online, almost all our services are going online, we're shopping online, they're working from home. There's all these applications you have to be able to use and software. And so if you're not digitally literate, <laughs> you just said it, you're going to be jobless. You're just you're just gonna put yourself in a position where you can't you can't you can't get a job or you won't be able to keep your job. So yeah, that's that's really 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 hit home for me. Okay, so my next question is: Looking at your career right now, in what three five ways can you say that technology has changed the way we work? Looking back at your career, in what three five ways can you say that technology has changed the way we work? So if I look at my career, maybe nine years ago, I mean, I started in consulting where we had to review a lot of documents with a lot of strategy. There was so much printing. So you, you write your documents, you print it out for your manager to review. He put a lot of red virus and he sends you now. Fast forward um, about nine years later, now you can work like 10 people collaboratively working on the same documents, giving you real-time feedback. It's very interesting because as at that time, we felt, oh, yes, we were using computers to type. We had the best PowerPoint reports. We didn't ever imagine that this collaborative real-time working where if my manager had to correct something on my document, he could just say, okay, just share your screen with me. Let me correct it in real time. And I will be seeing his corrections. Yes. It, in fact, like, let's not go too far. Last year, I traveled to 13 countries just to interact with my stakeholder. Wow. I mean, it was about that this year in January. But then with the COVID situation, 
I interact with the same people from my house and we get even better results because everyone is seated at home and can make immediate um, responses. Yes. It now makes me realize that a lot of our travels might not be necessary. And it's almost like a revelation because we felt that, oh, our African countries were not ready, so we need to sit down there because of cultural context. No. When push comes to shove, people will get yeah. the necessary tools needed to survive. Yes. That's very, very, I can imagine, you can imagine you, last year you traveled to 13 countries and now you're sitting and you realize, oh, we probably could have saved all that money and all that time and would have still gotten the same results. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, so my next question now is, drawing from your work as the African Development Bank's Senior Innovation and Human Capital Expert, who is responsible for originating and managing a Pan-African investment portfolio of over 100 million US dollars, and a portfolio that is themed around education, digital innovation, and youth entrepreneurship, what digital literacy skills does the African millennial generation Z need to excel in the workplace of the now and of the future? So the first question is, with your experience, I had to say all of that so that whoever is listening knows you have the answers to this question. And so my first question is, what are the digital literacy skills that we need for the workplace of the now and for the future? And then what ways would you advise that we go about acquiring these digital literacy skills? I hope that wasn't a mouthful. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's a great question. For my, so given my background, maybe I started on not so level playing ground as others because I studied computer science. So the workings of the computer for me when I entered the labor market were way beyond basic. I yes. knew how to program. I understood the logics behind the computer. Not that every computer science student maybe does, but I took particular interest in this. I love the logical thinking. So already I knew how to program. I knew how to navigate various software because of that logical thinking foundation. And I found that for me, it's 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 not necessarily knowing how to program or knowing how to navigate. It's the knowing how to think. So what computer science taught me was knowing how to navigate things logically. And because what they tell you is that programming languages come and um, come and go. And that this environment is very responsive. You might be using an iPhone 8 now, the iPhone 10, it will keep changing. But your ability to think that's what is driving you. And so I probably used a lot of programming languages, but then the thinking, the logical reasoning and the computation is still the same. So it's really that foundation. And I would advise any African press, I'm biased to this, but try to develop your computational thinking. Play games that do that. that Just develop that thinking of how do I navigate complex problems? And then it would not be people. But let me backtrack to someone that did not start on maybe a few level playing ground like I did or is just getting into this environment. I would say the no-no. It's no longer permitted to say, I do not even know how to put on a computer or how do I navigate my way. That you must learn. <laughs> and knowing how to use a mobile phone and send WhatsApp messages or chat on Facebook is quite different from knowing how to use a computer. Very true. And it's very, very, very different from navigating social media and using like digital tools are totally different things. You need to understand how to move around the computer, the internet and um, all that. So for the sake of this podcast, I've just divided into three categories of learning. First is oh. productivity. So this is assuming you know what a computer is. Okay. Basic, basic, and you know how to navigate it. 
now you know how to work a computer, but then there are productivity tools that are needed in every organization, despite whether you're an IT person or you're not an IT. How to use Microsoft Word, how to use Excel, how to do a presentation. It's the same presentation that people can see your thoughts and understand where you're leading to. And you should be able to harness each, even emailing, it could be Outlook. You should be able to navigate all these tools for daily productivity. Your report yes. will be dependent on how you are in what word. Your, yes. your presentations or how you elaborate your ideas depends on how good your slides are. Your yes. analytical ability will come to strength when you're showing Excel. I mean, I'm not biased to Microsoft tools, but any tool that you're using, there's always a variation and they all look alike, whether it's Google Sheets you're using or Microsoft Word or Open Office, you have yes. to know how to your activity tools to at least an intermediate level. Okay. For Word and PowerPoint, as a young millennial, you need to know how to express your ideas and communicate them in that regard. The second yeah. one is online etiquette. So because our generation is flooded with a lot of social media apps and interactions, yes. people have forgotten basic online etiquette and how differentiate between etiquette online when you're on social media and etiquette when it comes to like the office environment, even though it's virtual. I had a lot of people sell me emails and be like, um, hey, WFH, how are you? I've never met these people. Ping me immediately. This is my professional email seeking for help. Yes. And it's so unprofessional. Very, Even very. The tones slide in hello, and you put the person's name all in capitals, or you type your email to your boss all in capitals. They mean something. Yes. As you add your signatures and best regard, it means something. So you really yeah. need as millennials to create that boundary between my online etiquette in terms of social media interaction and then my professionalism. Because what has really happened with that is that before people used to sign memos and write justifications, it just became electronically. It just like writing a letter just became electronic. We, you would you would think carefully before you write it. Does the same way whenever you're doing professional, you must always take it serious. A lot of millennials have lost opportunities because they feel I can put an attitude into the workplace. I tell you, and a lot of them will still lose opportunities. You need to create that boundary. And the last one is so when you know you're great in productivity tools, you have an understanding of online etiquette, and the online etiquette skills come with a lot of what we call soft skills. So you know how to communicate, you know how to write, you know how to elaborate your thoughts. The last yeah. will be to spice up your skills with some advanced technical skills. You need a differentiated factor because everyone has a productivity skill. Everyone else has an online etiquette. What next? You need to pick up a skill that will differentiate you, and then try to build that skill. Thank God, a lot of resources are there. Are so many free resources, YouTube to Coursera to a lot of free resources that you have no excuse to build a superpower skill. I mean, yeah. analytics. You could put pick graphic design. Um, there are so many skills out there. Python. You could pick even web design. You could pick. There's yeah. so many skills out there that before used to be mysterious because you had to read a lot of books, but these have been demystified, and yeah. then you. Another technical skills that just will differentiate you. So look at your field. The the emerging ones right now are really data analytics. We have we're living in some world where there's so much data, and people need to understand and get inside that. And artificial intelligence is a bit advanced, but by the time you start into this field and you conquer the data analytics or you have an understanding, 
or that you can navigate um, swiftly or easily into the other field, but you need to spice it up with a differentiating skill. And that's what I have done in my career. So while I was in consulting, while I was in um, one of my skills, like I said, I, I'm very good in programming and logical thinking. So whenever yeah. I needed to bring that to spice up my work, I did that. And that was oh, that's always a differentiating factor between me and my colleagues. Even as I'm working in development, I still have a good base of logical reasoning, which helps me execute my programs and projects in a very efficient fashion, which yeah. my colleagues don't have. Yeah, okay, okay. So that's computational thinking. So let me, I'm taking notes as you're speaking, just so I can follow. And if I got you correctly, you're encouraging us to develop our logical thinking and computational thinking. You mentioned something like looking for games that we can play that will help us to develop that thinking skill that's going to be very beneficial to us. Yeah? Yeah, exactly. And you broke down the digital literacy skills that you would like us to develop into three. The first is learn how to use productivity tools that they're necessary. No matter what department you're in, no matter what profession you're in, you need them to be productive in the workplace. So you mentioned software like Microsoft Office, all the Office tools, the PowerPoint, Word, Excel, all of them, how to use email, whatever email provider you want to use, you need to be able to navigate it properly. Then the second um, category you said was online etiquette. So we must be mindful. Millennials need to be mindful that the way you communicate on social media is not the same way you communicate in the professional environment. You can't afford yeah. to be careless when you're communicating in the professional environment. And I mean, what you, when you mentioned that, it touched home for me because I am a HR person. And recently, um, somebody was hired and then... I called the person to let them know, oh, you can't resume at this time. Please send an email so we'll know. And when I got the email, I was heartbroken. Like the person was so unprofessional in the email. And I wanted to scream and say, don't you realize that this is a professional email? You're not talking to your friend. You're talking to our boss. You know? I was like, no, like they no spacing. The words were just modeled up and then there were abbreviations. And I was, my God, who is this? <laughs> you know, so when you mentioned it, I said I was like, yes, this is a major problem. And I have witnessed it. I have witnessed it even up until recently. So the third category is advanced tech skills. And you're saying this is the way we set ourselves apart. I mean, everybody can learn productivity tools. Everybody should know have online etiquette, but then we can add a little bit more to our own skills by going after advanced tech skills like web design, data analytics. You emphasize data analytics because there's a lot of data right now and all organizations are looking to understand all the data that they are getting. So it's a very profitable skill to develop. And they talked about artificial intelligence and graphics design and there's so much. And then we go online, we just see what skills are more marketable right now and then we should go ahead and just learn go to Coursera, go to Udemy, go on YouTube. You know, there are so many online platforms, whether free or paid, you can learn. Okay, okay. I was like, two good notes. Hey. <laughs> you need to teach me some tips on this, right? Patiently. <laughs> okay, no problem. Okay, so, but then I want to go back to the logical thinking. I would like it to be more specific, like logical thinking. I'm thinking of people who are in the arts. For instance, I am a HR person. I'm thinking of somebody who is an accountant who may be saying, logical thinking and computational thinking, that's for the engineers. 
I mean, so can you explain better why it's important for everybody and then specific places, do you know of any particular games we can go looking for in our Play Store or something? Okay. When I say logical thinking, I think what happens to people's minds is like solving complex mathematics or like some algorithm popping up in your head. It's as simple as knowing how to navigate like a complex program problem and breaking it down into pieces and then oh. and solving those pieces in such a way that then they, they bring you to an answer. Oh. Now, by virtue of the work in computer science, you're always solving a problem when you're programming. So they would say, how do we transfer this from maybe a manual way to an automated way? So you have to break it down. But then in, in everything you do, really like applying that. But the thing is that we don't consciously realize this. So when you even have a problem, you're almost sitting amongst three variables. Okay, if I do this or do that, I'll do even time management. Right, so it applies now daily life. Which am I going to prioritize? So it's yeah. needed for everyone, but I think people do it, but they don't actively see it as a skill. Yeah, that's something we can get better at. Exactly, it's something you can get so good at that you understand the logic of solving problems, and then you can apply it in work. You can apply it in. Thinking, you can apply it in whatever in your time management and all. it's a very it's very important in navigating life and so i i would say games for me let me see what games are there so i think for kids or for people there's this minecraft game which is really great i, I mean recommend kids. it's a minecraft programming game just letting but i think for adults it's more about just reading books or literally listening to some podcasts i cannot honestly say what it is because fortunately for me my <laughs> profession impacted this on me but yeah. i found myself whenever i was using these skills i've downloaded even as simple as solving mathematical equations on the go like i just get the apps where you just do that and it helps you or there are apps that make you navigate remembering things but that's I remember I I will be able to share some after this, but the one that comes to my head because I've used it recently and I'm using it with my kid and my little ones around the Minecraft one, which is really good. And there are a lot of this around. Oh, that's really helpful. I personally will also look into it, study about how to develop it, especially because you've mentioned it. I mean, when I was thinking of digital literacy skills, it wasn't a skill that immediately popped to mind. But I can clearly see why it is important. After your explanation, I can clearly see how important this is. So it, it's, it's very important for us as African kids that grow up. The type of, our type of education at primary, secondary, even universities taught us to cram a lot. A lot of Western yes. kids, they grow up with, even the way their parents teach them, also, do you think this is right or do you think this is wrong? But we were taught to say, just cram it. This is the way it should go. Yes. And so when I started working in diverse environments, like my first environment was PwC, I started seeing how people solve problems. I had computer science skills, but I never brought it into like other other areas. But then the way they would attack their problems and the way I would were very different. It made me consciously start bringing that problem-solving side and applying it to work. So this is a skill that for us Africans who grew up in the traditional schools like I did, you yeah. need to unlearn. You need to unlearn and relearn, like just how to think, how to navigate problems. It's very key for us so that we can come to that level playing ground with every of our colleagues globally. Yeah. 
Yeah, and even as a continent, we have a lot of problems we need solved. And sometimes it just looks like, as in, why can this leader do something about it? But then we all have a role to play. And so if we get better at this, we can solve problems better in our own communities, our own organizations, and then our continents will be better for it. So, yeah, thank you so much. I mean, that I didn't see that coming, but I really appreciate that input. Okay, so my next question now is, what three lessons did you learn during the course of championing the African Development Bank's Coding for Employment program, especially with regards to the digital skills gap in Africa and how we can bridge it you know so what key things what three lessons did you learn as you were driving and champion i mean i saw the stats of how well you guys did in that program i was like what i mean you did you, you did like you were how did you say it again 200 percent like um you yeah. exceeded target by 200 percent and i did see the math i was like wow this is true how did you guys do it and mainly what lessons did you learn during the course of that program executing it especially with regards to the digital skills gap in africa and how to bridge it okay thank you so it's very interesting because that was one of my first projects in afdb and at first when i joined the bank a digital skills expert in the midst of all economies was like outlier a key lesson i would say is if someone say it has not been done doesn't mean it cannot be done Hmm. everyone needs to say it has not been done before doesn't mean it cannot be done i have to repeat that because i came into this institution because i'm repeated for doing roads water transportation and that was the mindset the institution had and yeah when i came at that point we had no program ever which was not infrastructure based like setting cables or building an institution that people could touch and so i went yeah. in the softest I had to go against a lot of roadblocks and a lot of brick walls in my organization <laughs> fighting for what I believe. And so a lot of people said it has kind of, it had not been done, but I had to prove and I had to work really hard to show that it can be done. And then at some point, I, I do not want to, my organization is a great place, but you know, when you're selling a new idea, people yeah. need some sort of evidence. Unfortunately, there was not a lot of data sets I could go on Google to leverage and say, oh, digital skills in this particular African country turned their GDP to something. I had to create my evidence. And so there was an unwillingness to give me first initial to pilot the idea because I understood greatly. And for me, um, it will bring me to my second point, which is resilience. Yeah. Because I... I knew that it could be done. I was resilient enough to keep pursuing it despite the roadblock. And so I spent one year writing to organizations outside the bank who had similar visions for Africa. And I knew that the tools I had, so I looked at what I have. What do I have? I have a great organization who had launched a beautiful strategy and they had me and I had a great manager. But then I had no financing. That was the only thing I did not have to push the idea. So writing to the other organizations, I came from a position of strength by saying, we have this great initiative. And instead of begging, it was more like a catalyzing of partnerships. We will do this. We will technically implement and you will be a financial partner. 
So we are yeah. matching every contribution you give with a technical skill. Yeah. I think that all got well with most of the operations I wrote to. And then I got the first seed financing of over $2 million from the Rockefeller Foundation with the ideas. Wow. Don't let anyone say your idea is crazy enough. I mean, people, there are small things that follow leaders that say, oh, all of you drink poison now. It's all about your message. doesn't work. Think about it deeper and retreat. There's someone out there that can use it to you. And so when I did this, the next thing I had to do was, I didn't want it to be a traditional development program like AFDB doing this. I wanted it to be a true spirit of public-private partnership. So the government, the private sector, and the AFDB. Again, this was very difficult and new thinking in the bank. And so I then went for that, now that I knew I had financing, to write to global technology organizations because I knew my organization had a name. Yes. And then I got three of them saying that they were going to partner. And my question was that this is not begging. We are going to catalyze partnership. For every $1 you bring, we'll bring our $1 in form of technical or whatever. Everyone must bring something to the table. And it was yes. very interesting. It has been a very interesting journey for me because I have been sitting in the middle between a public and private. And it's public-private, they speak very different languages. In terms of case, their pace is different, way different. Imagine working with a Microsoft or a Facebook and then the African development, and then a government of a country. The yes. speed limits are very different. And so there has to be a buffer. And I was the buffer. Wow. I was the one that was quasi mediating between all these three parties. And it's not easy, but it's possible. And then it made me realize that there's a skill missing in the technology ecosystem. Oh. Most tech organizations, you need someone that mediates. Because oh. it's a different wavelength people work on. But you need all parties. All parties are not, they're not mutually exclusive. And so with that role, I served in court as a mediator and has been interested. All the organizations that came on board, they've signed long-term partnerships. We are scaling from country to country. We're supporting the African Union because the first thing we did was we generated evidence. There was no evidence on the country. And by the time we started generating evidence and speaking about it, countries started realizing beyond roads, beyond energy projects, they also need to start considering digital. And so my portfolio is even outdated, which was 100 million, is now over 500 million. Oh, okay. If it has not been done, doesn't mean it cannot be done. You just have to work a little harder. Now, resilience is a thing. Resilience makes you believe even everything fails, show up. If you feel afraid, do it. Do it afraid. Whatever happens, you need to keep moving. If you fail, retweet the model. If someone stands against me and screams that, who are you? Where are you coming from? You say, thank you. Cry in your toilet and you come out the next day and you keep fighting. You kind of thought you let your testimony be like, oh, I stood because someone screamed on me during the process. No. I think it has let me be, this, this process has taught me to be courageous. You don't know how many emails I wrote and the imposter syndrome was so strong. But I'm like, I'm sending it that way. And I'm standing there either ways. And yes, we will go together, me and you, dear imposter syndrome, and we will stand on that stage together. And I will fake it and I will come out. You need courage. Yeah, can really imagine. I mean, I took particular interest in it because I was I was just wondering, like this process must have been really daunting, and then you and your team were still able to pull it off. And so I figured 
we were definitely going to learn from it. So if I heard you well, the first thing you said is the fact that it's never been done doesn't mean it can't be done. So if you have a dream or an idea and you're sharing it with someone and they're saying, oh, it's never been done before, that is not a message for you to quit. It just means it's never been done, but it can be done. Yeah? Yeah, exactly. Next thing I heard you say was be resilient. Like go again and again and again. The fact that you can see how beautiful this thing will turn out doesn't mean everybody's going to believe you. So there are going to be roadblocks and naysayers, but you have to go again. If you feel like crying, go to the toilet, cry, clear your eyes and come out. But stand and fight and because nothing great is going to happen by accident. You have to put up a fight to achieve anything that is great and worthwhile. Then the next thing I heard you say is messaging. So you talked about how you had to word the letters you were sending to the technical partners you wanted to your organization to partner with. You had to make it clear that you were crystallizing the partnership. It wasn't begging, but the, the message you found out that the messaging was important. So for me, it, it comes back to the soft skills you talked about, the importance of learning how to communicate. That just shows how important it is to know how to communicate. Because when you have an idea, you're never going to execute anything great on your own. So it helps again able to communicate your idea in a way that the other person sees how they can benefit from working with you. That's one thing I learned. Then the other thing you said, which I've never heard before, is technology firms, they need mediators in their organizations because to be able to pull great things off, you need somebody who is going to be able to talk to all the players and stakeholders, be able to get buy-in from everybody, communicate in such a way that everybody understands and they're able to work together. So I guess those are the four things I got did I miss anything? No, if I'm, uh, please allow me to just say two more. It's really important because um, things that we have, have transitioned to do a lot of projects which have become really successful in the past. Wow, okay, no problem. So we're listening. Another thing I would say, you captured everything well, by the way, from your great. So the other thing I would say is if you're a manager or you're a leader, build your team, okay. build people. So my team started with really junior staff. Because, I mean, at that point, I didn't have buy-in from the organization. So really junior staff. Then, if you're a leader, your success is not ability to other people. Success is ability to replicate yourself and make people believe your vision, believe your standards, and want to, like, you should be able to go to bed and know that your team is as strong as you are. It's a replication of what you believe. If not, you are failed. So you have to actually build people. Do not accept um, less than the best from them but then you have to guide them in such a way that you're not I mean build them as individuals like let them see dignity in the work they do with you and let them see that you're consciously building their technical skills and all, all others like you have skills I think most managers are really scared that oh if I teach them everything now become redundant or they will not look after them that's you, you don't know all the solutions in life but build people and so because I was able to build my team to be highly efficient I was probably a bit great, like, questions of me. Like, I knew that as the way I think, this person was standing there and fulfilled. So when we had big talk, I didn't have to spread myself thin and say, oh, I'll do this. Yes. I'll do that. I'll do that. Everybody was on a trade line and we all attacked it together. So we were really efficient. I didn't have, because they were so strong in what they were doing. And it's very important that you build them. Now, the last one I would say is your competition is the world. My competition in the bank, there, there was nobody. I was the local champion. But no, my competition was not inside that organization. 
my competition was in the world. I wanted a president. I wanted experts in the field who had been there for 20 or 100 years to pick my document and say, this is great. I don't want them to say, this is good for a lady. This is good for no. My competition was the world. Was the world. And so when you're building your business or your ideas or whatever you're doing, don't lower your bar because you're a local champion. The world is flat right now and everyone sees what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Even if yeah. you have to work as though there's an audience in front of you. Give it your best, world-class best. You should not lower because I'm African, because there was no light, because no, no. Work against those. Yeah, yeah. Wow. I really got a lot from it. I mean, as a manager, build your team. I really see the importance of it. I really, really see the importance of it. And you hit the nail on the head when you said sometimes managers are afraid if I build them, then I'll be redundant. But it's not true. It's really not true. You, you need to be able to build a team that is able to do excellent work so that you can have the time to even think and strategize and then they have the strength and they know how to act. Yes, you, have, you need to build them to be able to act. And you don't have to worry about what are they doing because you know you've built them to be able to take the right decisions. And then you have the time to think and plan and you know meet with other stakeholders outside the organization and do all the things. So it's really, really key. Thank you so much. So on this note, we're going to be ending the first section of Yay. the interview. <laughs> a short break, and then we'll be back for the fireside chat. Yeah, the fireside chat is that when I shoot you all the generic questions, just so we know you a little bit more. We'll learn a lot from you. But yeah, this interview has been very insightful. I have a lot of arrows moving on my <laughs> my notes right now because I was just writing, writing notes and creating arrows and everything well thank you so so much but don't go nowhere thank we're going to be right back Okay, so welcome back, Success Moody Scholars. Yes, on today's episode of the show, we have had Uyoyo Zeno Edosio, and she is the Senior Innovation and Human Capital Expert at the African Development Bank, and she's been giving us a lot of value about the digital literacy skills we need right now. But we are done with the digital literacy skills, and now we're on to the fireside chat, and we're going to be asking her three key questions, and... She's going to be giving us a lot more flavor for this smoothie that she's serving us already. Okay, so thank you so much once again. Thanks for having me. I'm having so much fun. If I'm, you should have warned me. It's really interesting. <laughs> okay. Well, okay, so my first question for the Fireside Chat is, what one advice has changed your life and in what way did it change your life? I wouldn't say it was an advice. It was a quote I had. And I okay. had it from... Um, Bishop David Oedipo. Okay. I think, I think I was in you that day, and he was like, see, there are no mountains in life. Everyone's mountain is with ignorance. That day, it hit my head. And it was like, you have a problem now. You think someone is better. But the difference between you and that person is knowledge. That's the mountain. Your mountain is your knowledge difference. And so my first encounter, like, because I've worked, I've worked with a diverse organization. I've lived in different cities since Nigeria. My first encounter was when I was in, doing my master's in, in the UK. 
And then I was doing information technology. And there were all these smart kids who had grown up with computers. I mean, our education in Covenant was really good compared to others. But in terms of uh, what this kid had been they were ahead. And there was this temptation to look at it as, oh, they are better than me and just resort to that. But then that code pushed me and said, there's no mountain area. It's just because they know more. So you need to learn faster and know more. Build yourself to that level. And so I would, I would volunteer to represent the school in hackathons. I would read, I would study, I would go on YouTube videos, I would cry, I would keep studying, and I would show up the next day. It was a very hard period. Like it's almost like birthing something in you. Those periods were really hard. I read and I pushed myself so much that then we came on a level playing ground, and then I started exceeding. And then I realized. Wow. Racism was my thing. For me being Nigerian, like I was being sought after to now represent the school. People were coming to ask me, oh, what do you think about this knowledge? People started consulting me. And I was like, okay. Now I see. Knowledge is a currency. My knowledge has given me a passport and opened doors that I would have never been considered. Oh, I can't Mm. tell you how, how beautiful that was because... Um, my project at the end of the day, the school had to get special machines for me to implement my project because it was the first of its kind. But then I did it. Did I have any background knowledge? No. But I said I was going to, because my ignorance was my mountain and this ignorance we would overcome it. (laughs) We surmount it. And so then I went on to work in PwC London. Oh my God, the the smartest people in the world are those organizations. It was again that mountain you could build up your inferiority complex or you could start giving in reasonings that oh i'm being treated like this because you i could have done that and, and i'm not saying that this didn't exist i had to work extra hard like every knowledge gap i had plus a differentiating factor i had to read it up i had to show up and then again mm-hmm. like the same thing that happened when i was in uni i set a niche for myself and people started consulting me you didn't have to like me to consult me, but you needed me. <laughs> yeah, it was beautiful to see that. It was very beautiful to see that. And so then I started understanding that there's no difference. It's my knowledge in the... So whatever you are, no matter how you feel, I mean, there was a point where in my first organization, they looked at me, my rating was very bad. They even told me my rating was probably, they couldn't even rate me. They told me I need improvement. I felt like committing suicide. This was my first organization. Wow. And fast forwarding, I'm a global firm. Don't let what people tell you about who you are now because of your current knowledge base tell me who you will be. You can be anything if you want to build. I mean, you can be anything. Yeah, Just build you your knowledge and you'll be confident so yeah there is no mountain anywhere every man's ignorance is mounting by our very dear chancellor <laughs> bishop david yeah. Yeah. yeah in case i didn't mention myself and yo-yo attended covenant university so yeah we're eagles <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah so the second question of fireside chat is what's your favorite book and why Okay, so there's this book I really I just read recently. It's called The Prosperity Paradox. For people like us that are in the innovation and development, that is almost a Bible. 
that had the whole essence of innovation in developing countries. What it made me understand is, you know, since I've been doing this good work, I've gotten a lot of pushback. I've been in international meetings where people say, oh, you're doing this work, but there's no evidence. Africa doesn't need this. They need water. They need food. Why are you, why are you focusing on future things looking? And I had an answer, but I didn't know how to elaborate it, that this is something that should be done because there's a market that we cannot see that yes. needs to be created so that African countries the fact that you can see something, I mean, statistics teach you, oh, precedence goes this, therefore it will go. No, I'm saying that there's an opportunity that has not been tapped and there's potential. So it was going against all the logic these people thought about. And then this book is as if the author, God bless Clayton Christian, he is all blessed memories and efforts are taking them. God bless him, seriously. I, I said that because that book is a Bible to anyone who is open minded and that is in the innovation or development field. I, I, one of my friends read it and was crying after the, after the book. Wow, I because that book. it's it's almost like people that they've called they called the mad people of innovative development. Like we are the outliers. We are the ones saying we challenge the fact that instead of you giving people ten dollars per child so that they can eat, why not build enterprises that will provide local food or build the agricultural base of the country so that they can feed themselves? And those opinions are not very common in that, and they are not popular. So I really encourage everyone. That book is great. It's the reference point. Okay, okay. So final question is share a quote with us that you love. Okay, it's not really a quote. It's something I developed in my life, right? So in my life, I've seen a lot of strategies um, that have made me. And the former are quite aware. And something I know is that Africans, bless you if you came from a very advantageous part and everything has been good but there's an opportunity for us to just say oh i'm african i beg it's like that my country my government is not helping me and so yeah. those strategies when I, when I faced those serious strategies in my life i had to sit down with myself and had to come up with a mantra in my life i was like i would never let people pity me i would never take pity as an excuse or i refuse from that day to be pitied and it, it's very important because it's not that i'm trying to be strong it's that it gives you the courage to fight for yourself and fight for things despite your circumstances. You look at it and be like, I would not let people pity me. So I would work yeah. hard. I would work yeah. extra hard. And I will do more than extra hard. And if it's your faith, you have to build in God so that it can bring you to that solid place where you build your confidence and you have peace. I would find this truth that will give me completeness and satisfaction because... Yeah. I wouldn't let, and this is specifically for people that have maybe had it rough or had a, a rough past in it. I would pick up myself and I will fight. And that has been my mantra. And I think a lot of people need to hear this. A lot of people in disadvantaged backgrounds or even yeah. advantage going through really serious things. Don't worry. Like, don't let people pity you. Whatever you need to get it done, find the truth. Find it. Hold on to it. Speak to yourself. Correct your mind. Like you need to be there for yourself, and you need to hold faith. Faith is very key, especially in a world that is full of uncertainty. You need to come to that point where your peace is found in faith. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. Like this has been a very insightful interview, and I'm so thankful that you took out the time to be with us. Thank you so so much. I'm definitely going to, of course, I'm going to listen to this several times even before it goes live and then after. But thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for pulling me out of my shell. You know, just staying my shell and like, oh, but thank you so much for bringing me out, making me talk, which is very hard for introverts like me. <laughs> no, but it was really, really insightful. All the best. Wish you all the best in the work yeah, you do at 
the AFDB and onwards everywhere else that you're going. Thank you for my thank you so much. So there you have it, scholars. I trust you got a ton of value from today's guest, Uyoyo Edosio, as she shared with us her thoughts about the digital literacy skills that we all need now. If you've got any questions for Uyoyo specifically around anything she spoke about on this interview, kindly visit my website, ifomang.com, I-F-E-O-M-A-N-G.com. Search the podcast page for the show notes of this episode titled Digital Literacy Skills You Need Now. And you can just leave a comment there and I'll get Uyoyo's attention to give you an answer. Also, if you got value and I trust that you did, I want to hear from you. What one digital literacy skill are you going to commit to developing starting today? Like of all the things you heard on today's episode, which one digital literacy skill are you going to commit to developing starting today? I absolutely want to know about it. So please do tweet at me at ifoma underscore nkem. That's I-F-U-M-A underscore N-K-E-M on Twitter and use the hashtag success smoothie podcast, success smoothie podcast. So um, I can know that that's what you're talking about. And then let me know what that one digital literacy skill is that you're committing to developing. As always, please don't forget to share this episode with your friends and your loved ones and everyone else. And if you don't follow me on Instagram or Twitter, please do. My handle is Adifoma underscore Cam on Instagram and Twitter. And on there, I share stuff that I don't get to talk about here on the show. So you can follow me and we can keep in touch. Yeah. So finally, thank you so much for being here. And until next time, when I bring you another healthy serving of actionable insights to help you become better, wiser, and wealthier, please do remember that success comes from making the most of where you are on the way to where you're going. So be sure to do just that. Cheers. Cheers.